Hello again, and welcome to this next episode of the podcast that is yet to be named. In this episode, we're joined by Anton, a good friend of Tim's, who has recently participated in one of Tim's men's retreat. We get to hear about his dirtbag lifestyle and what he's been doing for the last couple years. Then we get Anton's take on Tim's recent retreat. We'll take a look at ceremony and what it really means. We'll take a look at connection and building connection. And finally, we'll wrap up with why Tim decided to name his retreat Rewilding. This is the podcast that has not been named yet. That is... Uh... Yeah, the podcast without a name. We're super uh, high tech over here on our phone. Doing everything on a phone. Yeah. So, no, that's cool. I thought, uh, yeah, I'd love to discuss the retreat. And we should probably, everyone knows Tim and I, but we should probably have, and I'm sorry, I don't even know your name. Have him introduce himself. And go uh, from Anton. There. Ant, all right, guy. Uh, I don't know. You guys run with it. I'll start asking questions. Here we go. Like we're so formal and doing things on phones and shit. So, yeah. Well, maybe we'll uh, first, since everybody kind of knows us, we'll give uh, uh, so Anton tell us like what uh, tell us what you've been doing for the last, let's say, five years. Like kind of how you've been living your life, how you've been spending your time, and. Uh, yeah, it's just kind of what brings you here today. Uh, last five years, I've basically been uh, traveling around in various styles, often kind of referred to as a dirtbag type of style. Um, kind of just, I, I wanted to do it to just go see some parts of the, the world, but it was mostly just within the United States. Uh, got to go climb in Yosemite a couple years ago. I went and did uh, some living outdoors, uh, camping, and living in Olympia, Washington, like in the city for a few months. Uh, so just like meeting a lot of people, doing a lot of different jobs, kind of just being almost like a seasonal laborer. And uh, I knew Tim before I did that, so... Now I'm back in Connecticut where I started and spending some time here and just catching up. So one of my favorite stories is a few years because I met Anton in a, in a CrossFit gym. We were working out and uh, just immediately clicked. Met, I made eye contact and then we did a workout. We were like just having a blast and joking around all day. Uh, <laughs> but it's been really interesting to watch your journey where you have kind of just gone and lived that dirtbag life and just gone from place to place. Uh, and I'll never forget what time when you were in Olympia, I messaged you and I'm like, Hey dude, how's it going out there? You're like, ah, oh, it's just really interesting. You know, I've just been living with the homeless. It's like this wild experience. I'm like living with the homeless, bro. It's like, are you trying to tell me you're homeless? You're like, no, no, I just, just trying it out, man. You, just, you know, we'll sleep under an overpass here and we'll, we'll move over here and the cops show up and tell us to get out of this parking garage. And I'm like, all right, cool. Where are we going tonight? <laughs> it's like, holy shit, dude. That is like next level freaking. Yeah, I don't really understand what it was all about either. It was just kind of uh, some things aligned for that to happen and none of it was like an intentional style. It was kind of just... Somebody, I, I moved onto a farm that had no plumbing or electricity, so that was like a good jump start into like trying out living with the homeless. You know, it was like a logical first progression. Uh, and then uh, a friend of mine 
said they were driving from uh, Maine to Washington and asked if I wanted a ride. And so that was a pretty good ticket to the West Coast, which I hadn't really spent much time on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't have any type of panic attack until like maybe it was in Idaho. I'm like, what the fuck am I supposed to do when I get dropped off? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sort of, it, it's kind of that difference between being homeless and a hobo, right? It's definitely, yeah, a hobo. Right. Like, at any point in time, I could cut my hair, shave, and get a uh, respectable appearing job and go move into an apartment. But that's not really of interest at this point in time. Right. <laughs> so it's like a hobo. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, it's, I can fix my shit, but. Yeah, exactly. Just it's like, live it out. It's yeah, exactly. It's like and, and hobos always claim like they're not homeless. They just choose not to stay in one place for any given time, right? They're not. Yeah. Homeless. Thanks for the clarification. Right? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's hobo. Well, I think you know in the seventies they called them hobos. You know in the in the twenty twenties we call them dirtbags. Yeah, <laughs> I think very much the same. Yep. Although I guess the classic hobo travels by train. Did you try any of that? Try jumping any cargo trains? No, I wanted to. I've met a few people who have, and it's. Uh, I think it's gotten more challenging just with yeah yeah it is technology it, available and things like that. However, the technology also like you can see what weather is coming and get probably the train schedule or something. Right. <laughs> so, right. Just waiting around for the train to come. <laughs> well, it's like it's also there's a lot more security depending on what's on the cargo train. Like obviously you're not jumping on an Amtrak. That thing is flying, right? You know, it's like doing (laughs) 90 miles an hour, but so you you jump on a cargo train, but depending on what's on that cargo train, like ever since I guess nine 11, you know, like, cause we were working, this was a couple, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, I was working in West Virginia um, with the P and J crews doing that line clearance stuff. And we're where we were working, like, they were having this active landslide, so we had to cut trees out of the way. But anyway, if it, it would go down over a road, and then it would go over the train tracks, then it would go into the Connaught River. And because, like, we're cutting these trees, and they could have rolled onto the tracks, we had to contact, um, I guess it was Conrail, whatever. Um, and we said, hey, can you can you give us your schedules so that, you know, when we're, we not, we're not cutting, when a train's coming through, and they're like, uh, no, we can't give you the schedule. Because a lot of these, they're coming out of the the coal mines and stuff. So they're carrying like these really toxic chemicals that if somebody wanted to plan it right and derail that train into the Connaught river, you'd, you know, you'd poison like the lower East coast. So it's, I think that's where, I think that's where some of the, you know, it's like, it's a lot more difficult to jump on a cargo train than it used to be because of security risks. Right. But one yeah, of my, now you get a terrorist charge. Yeah, yeah exactly. Now, now it's not just vagrancy or, you know, and now it's like, you know, are you some type of terrorist plotting to end up in, but I guess, you know, if you end up in jail, there's three meals in a square, you know, and a bed anyway. So, but I, 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 yeah, I mean, that works for a lot of hobos. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to rain tonight. Let's get arrested. <laughs> One kid I met in Olympia, he said that the police just stopped arresting him because they caught on to his game. Like, he, like, checked himself into the resort for one week out of the month. They had to do something to get arrested. And then they just started telling him they got no warm beds for him. Yeah, yeah. right. Like, you're gonna... <laughs> yeah, think. they realized, like, leaving him outside was probably a more more of a, a jail sentence. Right. One time, Matt and I were working on this job. And the job had... It's a... It's like a... It was a trailer park. But they just did... So, had so many trees that were 
like neglected for so long that we ended up just spending weeks and weeks there with the crane, just taking trees down when like the new owners bought it. And uh, there was a spot where you could dump uh, wood chips and wood on site. It was down this bank. And like way, 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 way down the bank through like the forest was the train tracks, the Amtrak train tracks. And we had been dumping stuff there for like a couple of years. And I went over to dump one of the last loads and there was this big round, probably like a 40 inch log. And it was just like a butt log cut, you know, like probably two firewood lanes. And it rolled down and we just watched it bounce between the trees and stuff. We're like, huh, they really went moving. And then Matt goes, dude, I think, I don't, I'm going to go check where that went. And like, normally we'd see stuff bounce down that hill like forever. And this time Matt goes down there and he gets down to the bottom and the piece had rolled into the center of the tracks. Oh. And it was like, oh, he, and there's a river next to it. He's like, holy shit. So he was able to get it out of the tracks. But if he hadn't gone down there to check, Right. That would a hundred percent have derailed the train going at like seventy miles an hour. Oh jeez! And like we would both be in prison. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, that'd be bad. No. Yeah. But it was just crazy that he just happened to be like, I don't know why, dude, but I feel like I should go check. Mm-hmm. And it was far. Like that thing went freaking, like bounced in between trees for like minutes to get all the way down there and made it down. Like, for sure. Oh, Our insurance would not have covered that. That. Yeah, yeah you can't you can't explain that one away like uh yeah. Yeah. it's not my log it's not my log i didn't do it yeah yeah they would have just walked up the hill and been like who's been dumping all this stuff up here not us not yeah, well, definitely wasn't us, even though we have the contract for the tree work there exactly that was somebody yeah. else's log we didn't dump that log yeah. i'd been crazy that had been crazy but yeah, I thought uh, today would be interesting to just have a conversation about the retreats that we've been doing, mm-hmm. and uh, and also and then just to get uh, you know Anton's perspective. We actually have not really talked about the retreats since uh, it was about three weeks ago or two or three yeah three weeks ago or so that we we had the uh, the last retreat. Uh, so I'll give like a quick little. Uh, summary of how uh i even started doing the retreats just a you know quick little story yeah sounds good Uh, so i last winter was in uh colombia i was in medellin and i rented a an apartment i had a bunch of friends come down to stay with me over the course of the month and uh i was there for the whole month and you know in the last week you know there was there's a group of us that were there there was like seven of us and we went to uh, uh, this this spot on the other side of the city and we went and rappelled down this waterfall and I just was looking around in the middle and it, uh, the first person to go was, um, got pretty mangled in the waterfall. Like, and I realized very quickly that this company that we've hired is not, they're not like professionals. Like up until that point, like I was just there as like a paid client and uh you know, all of a sudden I was like, wait a second, because I've done a bunch of guiding <clears throat> and safety stuff and rope work is my thing. And I realized like, oh, wait, I am not here as like a client. Like, I need to step into guide mode to make sure my friends are safe. So I just like very quickly switched into that mode and the rest of the day was awesome. But in the middle, after the first waterfall, we were in this beautiful spot and I was looking around and everybody high five in and just like the camaraderie and the connection everybody was having from having that shared experience. 
And I was like, this is what I want to be doing with my life. This is where I want to be taking people. And I, not only like the adventure portion, but like people to that part, like bringing people to connection with each other, you know? And uh, so that kind of got the ball rolling. And then I came home from that trip and it just kind of had a couple conversations with friends, but all of a sudden it just this idea popped in my head. I was like, I want to start hosting retreats. I want to host retreats. And then I'm like, I want to host men's retreats and I want to have some sort of adventure element. And I just want, I, I didn't know what it was, but just this idea came over me to like start hosting retreats. And, uh, so I just went, I went online. I went on Airbnb. I found this really badass place up in the Adirondacks up on, uh, Lake clear. And it was like 4,500 bucks for like a Thursday to a Sunday. And I was, it slept like 10 or 12 people. And I said, booked it, just let's go. And, uh, people are like, Whoa, dude, you're really like going over the top here trying to put up, you know, don't you want to go, maybe go somewhere local and just like rent a little hall or something for the weekend. And I'm like, no, I just, I'm just listening. I just had this feeling like this intuition, this just calling that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And then a friend of mine pops into my head, this guy that I had, you know, we had met like quite a few times. He's uh, a native American. He's, he's Cherokee Indian, a native American traditional storyteller and an outdoor wilderness survival expert. And I had met him when he would come out here and work at some local rehab facilities. They'd hire him to come out for a week or two and work with the clients there. And we had connected and done some sweat lodges together, but he just popped into my head. So I just called, he didn't call me back. And then, uh, I tried calling him again and he, uh, then he calls and then he called me back and uh, all the synchronicities and everything that started lining up were pretty wild. But he calls me back and I tell him what I'm doing. I'm like, man, I, I just want, I'm really inspired about hosting men's retreats and uh, I want to, uh, you know, I just, you keep popping in my head. And he's like, listen, man, I got so much going on. I'm going, I'm going to Ukraine. I started a nonprofit disaster relief company and we're going over there to supply like the troops with food and, you know, teach. CPR and first aid to the, the people there. And I just can't swing it, dude. I'm moving. I started this business. I'm doing that. Blah, 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 all these things. And I just was like, all right. He's like, but anything I could do to offer support. And he's like, realistically, it sounds like I should go to your retreat. Like I just need, I need a reset, you know, but man, I wish I could, but I can't. So I get off the phone with him and I jumped on my motorcycle and I remember I was riding down the road and this feeling welled up in my stomach and I just in my gut and I started laughing while I was riding and I said out loud, he's coming. I don't know. He just told me flat out, no, I can't come. And, uh, I just knew, like, I just had this like knowing that he was going to be a part of this. And, uh, so a month later he and I like connect again and he says, man, I just can't stop thinking about this retreat, but I don't know how I would swing it. My schedule's so crazy and all over the place. And, but I just can't stop thinking about it. And I was like, all right, man, we'll just, I still haven't found another facilitator and I'm, you know, just let me know. And, uh, three days later he texted me and said, oh man, let's do it. And, uh, and then I, and, uh, Amanda connected me with, uh, you know, now a good friend, uh, Angel Santiago and he, uh, is a meditation teacher and life coach down in Texas. So, uh, I bought both of them plane tickets and flew them in and, you know, people were saying to me like, what, you're flying people in for your first retreat and you rent <laughs> this like crazy property. And I was like thousands and thousands of dollars like in on this thing and nobody had signed up. And I'm like, all right, like, I mean, whatever, this is going to have a good weekend. Uh, this is going to be a really cool weekend. So I just started building a weekend experience that I would want to go to. Right. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I've had to let go a little bit of some of the adventure stuff. Like my pl- my plan was to go find some rock climbing walls. But once I went up, I checked out the property beforehand and I just realized how made amazing the property was. I was like, there's no reason to leave this place. This place is so cool. So, um, yeah, then I ended up, people signed up and paid to come. Uh, I didn't cover all the expenses, uh, it, but I came pretty close and it was one of the most powerful weekends of my life. And the whole time I was there, I just had this feeling like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be hosting retreats. I'm supposed to be bringing people together for, uh, connection. And especially in, uh, with men, I realized one of the things that inspired me about it was I realized that I have, am very fortunate to have a lot of different men in my life that I can be vulnerable with, that I can have real connection and real conversations with. And not everybody has that. A lot of people that that's, that's a rare thing in the world today. So I want to create that community. I want to create that connection. I want to create a space for men to come and be men. Right. And I don't mean like just, man, we're chopping wood, but like, you know, uh, practice vulnerability, you know, and experience vulnerability in like a community and a group and start to build that community that I have for other people. Right. And create that space for them and expose them to different modalities of like holistic healing and, uh, you know, some survival techniques or, uh, just, you know, like, teaching them how to call fire flint and stone you know uh how do you use a knife you know how do you throw a punch uh just all the laughing around a fire and around a meal and uh just a a space to disconnect for the weekend and and, you know uh because i know so many men that used to love to kayak or used to have a whole group of boys that they love to hang out with and uh, for me, one of the bright spots in my life is like hanging out in a group of dudes, just bullshit and laughing and goofing around and like having that, like just being playful, you know? Uh, and I know so many men that used to love to do that, used to have all their boys and used to connect and get out there and stuff. And now it's like, I work 80 hours a week. I've got a wife, a kid. I got this business around. I got this, I got that and all, and all the excuses and the reasons that they can't connect anymore and that they've kind of forfeit that thing. And now they're the lone wolf. And they don't even have like a couple really good friends and maybe they do, but they don't talk even every week or every month. You know, they've got their best friend that, you know, a couple times a year they'll connect with and share some beers or something, you know? And, and uh, so, and I can't tell you how many women have reached out to me, how many wives have reached out to me, a girlfriends of how do I force my husband to go to this? <laughs> I will watch all four of our kids and I will pay for him to go. How do I make him do this? And, uh, yeah, so the need is out there. It's and I'll say like you can't force them, you know. And a lot of times, actually, a few of those situations where my friends' wives have been pushy about them going, like it makes the men resentful and very resistant, and they don't want to go at all. So, uh, yeah. So then that uh, that weekend happened, and I just put together another one. And this last one was a couple weeks ago, and I rented a hundred acre retreat center up in Vermont. Uh, I flew Hawaii in again, and. Uh, and then I, I, I had this, uh, this guy, Johnny Sifo come in and he did some, uh, meditation and Tibetan sound bowl healing and some, some yoga and, uh, Tai Chi and yeah. And this, uh, this property I think worked really well and it had, uh, so many different venues around the property for different ceremonies and, and we, uh, we called fire and we 
shared amazing meals and we had like deep vulnerable conversations around fire and stuff but i'll uh i'll let anton kind of get into sorry for the the long-winded explanation of what we've been doing but uh i could and i could go on forever there's so many cool little synchronicities that have happened along the way of just like the universe letting me know like yes this is your calling this is what you're supposed to be doing but i'd love to hear uh your perspective and just experience maybe what called you to the experience in the first place and then what your experience was like all right <laughs> um i think what first called me to the experience was a phone because then i was talking to tim <laughs> and i found out he was uh he was doing that and i was i thought it was uh appropriate you know, it was almost like when it was happening, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, this seems like probably it's... wasn't thinking about it. But once it came into awareness, it's like, ah, oh, it's about time Tim started doing something like that. And uh, the first one that he had, uh, I found out, I think about it kind of late. And financially, I'm always all over the place because I like make enough money to just like eat and then buy a one way ticket and then start over again. And, uh, so I didn't, I wasn't able to pull the trigger on that. Um, but just based on, on some of the things I would anticipate about it, that there's no like psychoactive, uh, aspect to it, like a catalyst for that. You could have a psychoactive experience taking a deep breath, but you know, that's, that's like that natural experience of life. And, um, that's kind of just within the, the realm of work that I enjoy doing a lot of traveling and the people and demographics I met a lot of just traveling and getting somewhere new, uh, takes people skills and an ability to, uh, set a foundation for yourself that, you know, you can't just go and, um, get high or do things like that. Like you have to reestablish some type of solid foundation when you go somewhere at least the way I've been traveling, where it's like, I'll stay there for a few months. So it's like, got to get a job, got to find a place to live. And in those experiences, like you cut, you got to get rid of a lot of bullshit. Like you get, have your, your insecurities right up front with that, because there's a lot of like stakes, so to speak, if, if you don't do that well, like you can't just be uh, self-serving. You have to work with your community um, typically, you know, service jobs are always available. So what I've learned going through those experiences, I thought if people are going to have a type of retreat, it's important that you just like, you're walking into a situation, not to walk out of it, not against any type of retreats or things that happen where there are, uh, powerful psychoactive, uh, uh, materials that are involved, but in that one, it's a different approach. Um, it's there's the integration process is different. The maybe feeling of spirituality is different because you take in a substance and turn over a lot of power to that. Or it's, it's you know it's brave. Everything has an appropriate use, but the the going into it or a retreat uh, that's going to have storytelling um, and uh places where people share but it's doing it like very much by choice 
um, and you have to become empowered. You're not you're not being overpowered by any uh, substance that'll give you a godlike or spiritual experience. Like you got to really show up. And I think a lot of times that's the hardest part for people to integrate any experience. Like and even PTSD, like you you can become distracted by your thoughts. You have to have a skill of being able to like become present again. So it, it's just like the choice you is so much more reflective, I think, of your day to day life. And part of the, the ceremony that went on uh, that I got to experience through Tim. So it's it's very reflective of day to day. There's not something profound happening that's kind of where you are stepping out of your control, like an out-of-body experience. It's a very in-body experience. And I think a lot of times when people are talking about out-of-body or in-body experiences, a lot of the spirituality that's developing currently, the in-body experience is, uh, I think, so necessary uh, to understand stepping into that because it gives you it gives you space away from constant thought of things that may be bothering you stressing you looking to the future or past and so this retreat was very much um the the isolation effect up in the mountain was really good um we're all sharing community meals and things like that so it's literally like showing up to the table and and not going off on your own solo experience it was a lot like a team um, and community. Uh, one thing I shared was it's like you could form a brotherhood in that weekend and you have, when you step away, it's up to you to uphold that, what you expose and, and what it gets you is witnesses. And particularly with men, um, that aspect, I think men often, um, and speaking for myself, most of my friends, men will seek it from a woman or let's say whatever you're, your love interest is that vulnerability so then that skews so much of how you interact with your life because you're seeking a witnessing aspect for you to be vulnerable but then when you can do it around other men um that's what like the military that's those brotherhoods you get in the military sports teams and why do people constantly relive those things if they don't have another um adventure they're taking on is because that's the last time they're in a brotherhood and that's such an important aspect for men to have you have a family you're born into but then you develop a close-knit family outside of your initial household and i think that's what a lot of this weekend opens up for men and it's as you could go as deep as you're willing to go and even with other type of ceremonies you could do where there are psychoactive aspects to it if you can't do it just showing up you could go do whatever type of ceremony you're going to get but you have to make that practice of being like dry and having that ability to be like i'm going to choose to share this like i'm going to have to pull strength to share this i'm not just going to be on a ride that it's shown to me in some kind of dreamlike fashion it's very much an in-body in-person experience that um i think a lot of people need and um men can witness men differently than when there's women around. So it's just, it, it offers a very, I think, straight to the point kind of thing. And it's, there's no convincing that needs to happen. It's just like, all right, you know, just, just show up. And the only thing that's asked of you is that you 
put some stuff on the table that you've been carrying around. And we're only asking that because that's what everybody else is doing. So that was kind of how it felt. It was a bit long-winded and for you, but that was good. No, not long-winded at all. Yeah, it was, it's interesting, that comparison, you know, between a, a retreat or a experience that has, like I said, like some sort of psychoactive component to it. You're right. It's I'm not. It's fine. That might be just what the doctor ordered for many reasons, but it's different when it's it's just you, right? And your own, yeah. you know, your own vulnerability. And there's and both serve a purpose. I'm not, you know, saying one's better than the other, but and I I agree too that it's like you know whether you might you know go to a retreat or something where there's a lot of of additives that come in to put you in a state of mind that that opens your mind. That's not something that you can do on a regular basis. You know, like that's yeah, that, you know, that's like, big difference. Like, yeah, big well, difference is that. Yeah, I mean, you could. It just leads to a whole other type of lifestyle that maybe you weren't after. Um, yeah. but, but when you do things that are more like you described, and I love that term, in body, um, when you do things, that are more, those are the kind of things that when you leave a retreat, like what Tim's been doing and what you guys have been doing, I mean, you can, sit, you can do that yourself, or you can show other friends outside of the retreat or other members of your family, and it's repeatable, and it's, it's I like the word actionable, right? Like you can... You can yeah. do pieces of that on a regular basis and uh, and really add to the whole. You know? <laughs> so I think that, you know, the two, the two work, work. It was a good compare and contrast there. Yeah, and li I like what you said about uh, actionable or repeatable. And I think every type of, anytime you commit to uh, jumping into something like this, um, like a, a, a deep witnessing, ceremony with other people uh there's it's it's respectable no matter what and and how you choose to do that and my approach for it that um i've tried to take and, and figure out how to embody is if there's some self-improvement happening and you're part of the, a collective humanity and in beyond that a collective experience and and idea um, what are you bringing back that you can give to people who cannot attend those experiences? And that's the, that's continuing that elevation. Um, and, and particularly, I think maybe for men too, the service aspect of things like, uh, there's a lot of service that's involved in the past, like building cities and, and not that women wouldn't have done that because rights and all that is a different conversation and what's available to be done but just what has happened um that men do serve and they they'll serve honorably like and um so that objective is like you can serve the humanity as a whole and in a in very small ways like you go into certain ceremonies you have experiences that show you a lot of baggage or perhaps things that you need to clean up how can you come back out into society and replicate that and this men's retreat what i liked about it is it was like person-to-person -person training and uh, of how to be open and, and and responsive and to also like say you're in a coffee shop and somebody's having a dispute but for some reason at this one ceremony like or, or and i won't even call it a ceremony or retreat because because those come with i think some people like you know you're saying your wives are like oh can you go if there's an implication that it's like, well, you need to heal or fix yourself. It's more that thing of like, do you want to elevate yourself? Do you want to like maximize this again? Like you've been playing at this level, which works and there's nothing wrong with that. 
but do you want to see what maybe is up ahead? Like, see what's it, what if you walk through this door, how much you overall improve. So it's more like take it like an improvement aspect, not like a corrections type of aspect. Um, but what do you bring back? And you could you could be in public, and because you weren't uh, tripping your balls off or anything like that you can associate right away. Like I remember when I actively made this choice amongst these people who were, some of them were strangers or friends and shared some stuff and then had their support of it, of, of sharing, not, it, not your, not support and ideologies or anything like that. You just support the share. And so then you can step into that because you've, you've created that association with yourself already. And so I think coming out of any type of self-improvement, experience is how well can you integrate that that's really important and then that that benefits humanity but it also helps you keep your sanity when you're like well i had this experience and it's like people i think become disassociative when there's not somebody to relate to so having this type of retreat the way it was done is very easy to put in place the next day you leave because nothing there's nothing changing it was just by choice so there wasn't anything that's not ha like you go to a coffee shop we hung out had coffee and breakfast go to a coffee shop people are hanging out having coffee having breakfast and if you've gotten something where you're like i know how to be open and vulnerable with somebody but not like not i don't misunderstand it perhaps like i did you could literally change somebody's day that moment if somebody's having a real shit day but you've 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 you're able to integrate what you've learned in this retreat and be more present for them in that moment. And it's like, you've just served a, a little bit of a betterment of humanity and, and also represented yourself more collective. So that, that's kind of some stuff I've taken away from that as well. No, those, those great points like that. Yeah. I just came across them. There's a philosophical concept in stoicism kind of called the, the cir circles of concern, right? So if you imagine like a bunch of circles, one inside each other, right? And the, the centermost circle is yourself, you know, your own mind, your own body, your own spirituality, your own thought. And then the next circle out would be family. The next circle out with that is sort of, you know, your extended family, friends, acquaintances, and then it goes out to, and really the idea of that circles of concern is unless you're in a good state, unless, you know, you have to take care of yourself and what, what you are, and then you can start to take care of your family, right? And then you can start to do things in your community, and then you can start to do things wider. And I think that gets missed a lot. I think a lot of people are essentially at a very personal level broken um, or just not functioning well, but yet, you know, they're trying to reach out and they're trying to help their family. And they might have some success, but, you know, it's always, the ceiling's always going to be limited. So to have a a retreat with actionable things that you can do on a daily basis to kind of keep yourself in the line, like you said, keep your sanity is, is so important, right? Because we're all going to get broken again eventually, right? No one's going to go yeah, through, sure. no one's going through this with impunity, right? It's not like, yeah, it's, it's like recovery, right? It's not like, oh, I'm through recovery, I'm good, that box is checked. Like, no, it's a, that's a whole lifelong thing that happens there. And you're going to have those ups and downs and seeing that. And I'd love to touch on what you got, how, you guys see the importance of ceremony in not only in your retreats, but just in general, right? Because it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately, so I'll get your views. And then how important is that ceremony? Not only to the retreat, which is fine too, but to just to everything in general. 
how important is ceremony? I think, uh, yeah, I think ceremony, the, the first thing that comes to mind is for me is do, I do a lot of things in ceremony, you know, when I think of presence, right? Like in a ceremony, like, uh, yeah, I think of how present I am when we're in a uh, circle around a fire and there's a story and then we're sharing and, you know, uh, and sharing with intention, you know, so ceremony to me is living, acting with intention, you know, in a ceremonious way, you know, kind of being in reverence of, uh, your surroundings. So it could be a ceremony for me, uh, to take, uh, a hike by myself, you know, and that could be a form of ceremony to, to sit down and kind of be in reverence of, you know, nature around me and, uh, and present. So I think for me, it's, it's intention, uh, and reverence and presence, you know, so I think it's really important to find, that place of ceremony in your life, you know, like where you're going to have like intentionally like, be present and be still for a bit, you know, or, or listen, you know, in a group uh, of people, it doesn't have like ceremony is definitely not just like something that happens alone, but that's the first thing that pops into my head. That's, and I, and, uh, and I don't think people, I don't see a lot of people taking time for a ceremony in their life. So it's a unique experience for people when they come on the retreat and they get to participate in a ceremony and, uh, you know, see other people having their first experience of it and seeing the vulnerability and the humility that comes out of it, uh, is a really powerful. And then for me, it, it gives me that, you know, what Anton was talking about before is like those actionable things, you know, I could take that ceremony into, you know, just the coffee shop that I'm at, you know, into being, present with someone uh and i don't know that i would i don't necessarily know that i would call that ceremony at the coffee shop but i guess why not but uh it's really important for me to have a practice of ceremony because it, it you know it gives me more of those actionable uh moments you know awareness of the actionable moments throughout the day and in connection with other people and um yeah, that's a good thought. I've never really yeah. spent any time on it before. So I'm just thinking out loud here. But and I think, you know, it's we have ceremony in our culture kind of built in, right? Like weddings and funerals and, you know, and, and that's kind of built in and people associate that a lot. But I think a lot of, on a very base level, ceremony has been lost to the average person. Because for me, a ceremony is, it has a couple things. One, it, it can be a bookmark, right? Like it can, it can be a closing of one chapter and a moving on to the next. It can kind of signal that to, which is kind of what a wedding does, almost what a funeral does, right? It's sort of that signaling. But I think it's also a way to, to revisit the past without getting lost in the past. Um, you know, because uh, here's a, a small, simple ceremony I have as a, you know, as a, as a veteran that served in combat. Every Memorial Day, I always take time and I sit down and, and I'll drink two beers, Right. One beer is for all the friends that that I had that didn't come home or didn't come home the same. And then the second beer is for, well, the other side. Right. 
all their people that didn't come home and didn't come home same. Because really, in the end, they weren't that different than me. They just wore a different uniform. You know, maybe they had different ideology, whatever. But on a human level, we were just people. And uh, that little ceremony allowed me to honor that part of my life without going back into the darkness and sadness that was that part of, of my life, right? So ceremony gave me that opportunity to, to kind of resurrect that because I agree with you. We all, you know, if you start living in the past, it's all over. I think ceremony gives us the ability to revisit the past without getting involved in it, right? And I think it, it allows us to, in some respects, to turn a page, Right? And one of my favorite quotes about ceremony and really got me thinking on this was uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer. He, I don't know, you read the book Braiding Grass or Braiding Sweetgrass? Sweetgrass. Yeah, yeah, part of it. Yeah. She has a great line in there where it's like ceremony, it causes us to remember to remember. And I think that's a, a, a great way of thinking about it, right? It, it forces us, going through a ceremony forces us to remember to remember because a lot of times ceremonies like that show us lessons that we've already learned, but we need to learn yet again. And I think ceremony can give us a direct line from our present to our past and maybe even to the future, right? I look at my martial arts practice doing Tang Soo Do, a traditional Korean martial arts, where a lot of a lot of the lessons that we learn, a lot of like just the physical practice, like the hyungs or kata, as they would say in Japanese, um, you know, you're literally being taught movements that have been taught to individuals for 2,000 years, right? And things go on, you know, they'll be taught to somebody else 100 years from now or 200 years or who knows how long. So it, it gives you that ceremony, can give you that pinprick of, of place in a timeline, a connection to the past and to some extent a connection to the future. I like that. Yeah, yeah. That, that it's almost like a, it's being described as kind of like a, a transitional phase. Mm hmm. Sure. And I don't know what the, the, I don't have the definition of ceremony in front of me, um, but I feel like ceremony and rituals go very close together. Um, mm -hmm. And everybody has rituals that they do day to day. Like you have a routine that at some point you're going through. Um, and even if the routine is vague and obscure, like you're, you're still running on routine quite often. And, uh, I think, and in a general, like the the rings going out from you, you're like you're kind of existing in a ceremony already, because there's so many ritual pieces happening, and there's a big thing that's happening within a confined space, so to speak. Like there's, so it, but what Tim said is the intention. So the intention, I think, sets rituals aside and puts them into the place of ceremony. So you have that intention. But then you also have a space. So there is space being held and designated for that intention. And so then rituals will come into practice, but they are under a different view. They're, they are observed in some ways versus day to day. You start to not observe yourself. And if you spend too many days not observing yourself, you'll perform rituals and ceremonies that are that do not have aware intention set to them and then you'll manifest literally like you've seen how it is you live in your past you're having ceremonies of your past or, or, or practicing out rituals with that your past intention in mind which would be like fearful like escapism things like that so a ceremony is a space that is entered and exited 
and what I've found them to be, they are the intentions of self-reflection. And when that happens with a group, there's the support of self-reflection. So you might be too weak to self-reflect on your own. There's a group there to do that because I think the self-reflection is the toughest thing that we're all trying to figure out how to do. And But accept it. Not because we're self-reflecting all the time, but a lot of times it's it's stress-related. But the a celebrated self-reflection is acceptance. And that doesn't mean justification. That's just acceptance because everybody's trying to figure it out. So it's not like you're breaking code if you misbehave or things like that. So a ceremony is a space of self-reflection and depth that you do not do daily. Like ideally a, a well-set ceremony is you go to a certain depth and self-reflection. And when you do that, you can move forward, but it's a place where you can look and see your self-reflection. So you, you, like you said, it's a transition. You're right in the middle of your past and future, but you're seeing yourself there. Like you choose to go on a retreat for a weekend. Your intention is incredibly important. So your ceremony, the ceremony's intention is not always what the in individual's intention coming in is. Because you could go in there to, and depending on where you're at, just tell stories that are, are boosting yourself. Or you could go in there and kind of like, you know, really expose yourself to get rid of a lot of those things. And as you go through ceremonies, you'll come to more center of the circle, ideally. But um, the ceremony is a place that you go into for, for that work where you acknowledge your past. Like what you said, you have those two drinks. You know that it is something stressful, like perhaps to reflect on. If you didn't ever acknowledge that, that might be something that eats at you. And you're trying to figure out a way to express that energy and emotion. But you know, at, at least once every year, those feelings are acknowledged. They have their place. They don't have their place necessarily day to day, but because you have this ceremony and of sacred rituals that you do within it, you have peace of mind with whatever that is because you it knows and you know it. there's a place for it. And ceremonies give you place and time to digest perhaps your life. And a lot of people I think are having tough times digesting it, especially if they don't give themselves a weekend away you make your own ceremony wherever you are but it's a space that has structure and is safe for for expression of that I, intention mm -hmm. but it's also throughout human history like it is such a common practice so yeah. if we start to live in a society that doesn't do that we're actually deviating further from our nature in maybe these very short amount of times with you know, technology and the way uh, society is kind of moving, like it's like picking up speed, that if we don't have healthy ceremonies and offer those, a ceremony is an education too. Because like you can go hold space for a moment for somebody or your most importantly yourself when you need to. It's like self-reflection is okay. You learn that in these spaces and hopefully you come out the other side like feeling better and whatever possibly plagued you leading up to that mm. yeah no those are great points and i think when you know a ceremony is shared with others that it gives that accountability you know private ceremonies are fine nothing against that 
And uh, but when you have something that's a common good, you know, or a common ceremony or something, and I think that you know, just in talking with Tim, and I haven't been to the retreat. I look forward to the to the day I can go. I think that the way you've structured it is you can you can remind people that, but then you can give them certain ceremonies that they can take and make their own or keep the same. And I think that's you know part of that um, part of that learning process. And then when you you know, and I think the easiest way to appreciate those things is to be in nature, right? Because, you know, to, to understand that nature is full of, of ceremony and ritual, you know, as you described it on its own, whether it is or not. And to be able to to touch base with that again, to remember to remember that, you know, you know you're, that you're part of a much, much bigger system, right? And I think that nature does that. And then when you start to do those, you know, the adventure aspects that you're looking at, there's a self-confidence there and then there's a you know, an appreciation of, of all of that and this, and being the, being a smaller part of the whole. I was thinking about that the other day. I was, uh, I was out hunting and I was sitting in my tree stand in the afternoon and the entire time I was in my tree stand, thousands and thousands and thousands of ravens and crows, or I don't know which one they were, but were just flying over me because they're starting to migrate. And this time of year, over a couple of towns over Waterbury or sometimes towards Hartford, you'll start to see millions of them all up in the trees. And like, it just happens to be that along the highway, this is part of the migration path. And you can see where they all start to pile up. But while I was sitting there the entire time as they're just flying over, like, let's go like all for the couple hours that I was sitting out there, I was watching it and it made me think like, how is there no, like, there's no celebration, right, of, like, the great migration that's starting right now. There's, there's, everyone is going about their life. Everyone's just driving around. I'm sitting there, I'm watching cars go by, and I'm like, and here's this thing over our heads right now that is just happening. That is, like, you know, and I, it just made me think of our ancestors of how they, I bet you they were a lot more observant that that was happening and that it was either a celebration right or an opportunity of like hey like winter's real getting real close or something had like some i bet some ceremony was attached to when like they started to see the the migration like that happening and how we just pay no attention and how disconnected we are from uh the nature that we are like we're part of that that system that you were talking about but i, I just spent a lot of time reflecting on like I felt like celebrating, like, you know, I was almost thinking of like some like, uh, you know, Disney show or something or like cartoon where it's like the celebration and like, it's this joyous thing of the great migration has happened. And let's all like, you know, it's time. It's, it's that time of year. It's a, it's a changing of the seasons. It's a change, you know, and just, just kept thinking about that. Man, like this is such a powerful thing that's happened right now. We have no ceremony. We have no respect or reverence for it. I'm sure some do, but, uh, I don't know that I would have noticed it if I wasn't just sitting still for hours in the woods watching them fly over. Yeah, I notice a lot. Like it's one of the nice things about you know the fall rolling in and and you know being a hunter, or spending time outside is that I don't want to say force, but I because it's hunting season, right? You, you know, you take the time to do that, that I don't at other times of the year. And it's an interesting time of year to do that in the fall as things change and you start to see those cycles and, and how it goes. And I said, like, you know, 
it's one of the things like having a retreat like you do in areas where you can spend a great deal of time outside. I mean, things are like are happening like that all the time, spring, summer, fall, winter, right? There's always this cycle of renewal uh, in nature, right? Because every nothing happens fast, but everything gets done. That's one of my favorite quotes about nature, right? Nothing happens fast, but it all gets done. Um, but but you, because it doesn't happen fast, often doesn't happen fast on the bigger, you almost have to sit and watch it. So conducting a retreat like you've been doing in the outdoors to have that, you know, is, is and then, you know, doing activities like, you know, trying to build a fire from, from flint and steel, you know, connects you, I think, to, to all of that, you know, in, in, in different ways. And then building ceremony around that or appreciating ceremony that already exists and ritual, like we talked about, is, is important. I think it gets forgot, forgotten, right? And, uh, and it's important for men and women. But, you know, I think that it just for, you know, having a men's only, it's, you know, to have those ceremonies and those rituals, it's sometimes easier to have those with people that can relate directly to your experience, I think. And, uh, you know, while many women might relate to that, you know, men and women are different, right? They just are. The experience is what culturally were different, you know, physically were different. And it's not that, you know, women couldn't benefit from this, but there is, when you lose it, sometimes I think you got to go back to your very basics of what you are to regain it so that you can then share it. It goes back to those circles of concern, right? You got to return to to your circle of your basic circle of concern, which is yourself, right? Yeah. And that can be easier to do if you're surrounded by people that are doing the same and have similar experiences, similar cultural expectations, similar, you know, physical expectations. Right? I think that's also healthy for the if you want to respect women as well, there's in coming to a men's group, it's like you acknowledge a similarity. A lot of people perpetuate their struggle because it's a noble struggle that nobody else has. But when you come to a group where it's, this is a men's group, it's like you are part of a group. And so there's then this shared thing. So it already breaks down a little bit of a barrier um, and it's, I think, some respect to women, too, as much as it would be a respect to men for women to do women's only retreats. Um, but then all uh, with everything I say about retreats or ceremonies, it's incredibly important the people who are uh, holding the structure and, and orchestrating it. Because you could go to a ceremony and just come away with, with a little lack of respect. So that... In those things, like you said, going to a men's group where it's shared groups, yeah, that's respectful to yourself and then to everyone around you to get a better gauge because it's like men and women are different. Yeah, and it's, I think somehow it sometimes, I think it's mostly because of cultural expectations uh, for men, you know, it's like men aren't supposed to be vulnerable, right? You know, you're not supposed to, you're supposed to do things on your own and you're not, you're not supposed to ask for help. But when you get in a group of men that share those same cultural expectations and then you can each individually start to break that down, it's, it's somehow just easier to, it's easy, it's easier to do things when you're not alone or don't feel alone, right? As I, you know, as essentially herd animals, as social animals, we want to be together in groups, um, you know, certain personalities, of course, allow you to step out and do things differently. Certain situations can cause you to step out and do things, you know, solo or individually. But it's easier to change in a group. And I think that can be... And it's easier to change in a group that has, like, expectations or, you know, has similar stories. Yeah, well, and then you just realize that you're not... There's so such a power in realizing I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we all think we're different or the things we struggle with or the things that we're 
afraid of or, you know, that 99% of our thought that's repetitive that we spend our days thinking about and you start to realize like, oh, everybody out, all these other guys have that experience too. Oh, they're thinking the same thing. Oh, I'm not alone. It's okay to be, you know, because uh, loneliness, well, not just like loneliness, but like the feeling of being alone and that no one understands is so isolating. But when you start to, and, you know, connection obviously is the solution to that. So really like seeing other people's vulnerability and they struggle with the same thing as you, you know, and being like, oh, right. Right. Like I'm not alone. Like I can share openly with these guys or here's a guy who's had that struggle and has made it through, you know, let me talk to Tony and find out like Tony had this experience and you know, what was, how did he make it through, you know? Um, yeah. It's powerful. Yeah. I think that's when you're, when you're in a, in a struggle, you know, personal struggle, whatever that might be, when you realize that you're not alone is, is a turning point. You know, when you realize that for everything that you're going through, somebody has been through it before and has made it, um, you know, that, that can be, it, it gives hope, right. You know, and that's, and that glimmer of hope is what can then, you know, provide the, the impetus for change and for keeping a move forward. And, you know, there's a big difference between being solitary and being alone, you know, yep. alone, alone is a disconnection. I would say solitariness or, or having solitude is actually a, a connection. Right. Um, you know, cause I know, and I've been fortunate in, you know, in my life just through different experiences. Once I left home as an adult, I've always had, you know, really good groups of friends, male friends, for the most part, you know, to, to share these things with and to, and I didn't realize it through my twenties and thirties, you know, the power and, and the benefit that I got from having these friends groups. But now that I'm older and, you know, we're going through the same things and our kids are getting older and our families are getting older and, and it's, I understand the power of it now and how fortunate I've been. And, uh, and it also makes me realize how many people don't have that, you know, don't have that, that social network that, you know, is when I'm struggling as a, as a father, you know, I have some friends I can call up and say, you know, and well, sometimes it's just a bitch session, right? It just, you know, somebody to vent to that can understand it, that you trust. But then also it often brings up little pieces of advice. They say, yeah, you know, when, when, when this was happening, you know, this is, this is my perspective on it. This is what I did. And, uh, the ability to share that is, is something that I've been extremely fortunate to do. And I realize that a lot of people don't have it, but when you start to have a retreat, like you're, like you're doing, it gives people that network, right? You know, not only in the retreat itself, but then in all the people that have taken the retreat, you know, and it, it, it'd be interesting to see after you've done I don't know whatever number of these are that once a year you have a retreat reunion where you can only come to the reunion if you've been to one of the retreats, you know, okay. you know, to build that community even, even further to, to bring that back to, you know, make, basically make it its own ceremony, right. To remember, to remember and, uh, and to revisit those things. It'd be cool. Yeah. Or even have like a, a zoom call breath work ceremony or something like that, you know, where everybody that's been mm -hmm. to the retreats can kind of yeah. show up and, Right. Yeah, it's just, you know, and talking this this last week and, you know, present with Amanda and all the training that I've done in the industry and other stuff, you know, one of the things that's totally missed with training is follow through, right? So you go to a training, whether it be a retreat, whatever, right? Whether it be a sem one day seminar or a five day retreat, and you get inspired and you go forward and then there's very, very, very rarely is there any follow through after that. And 
I think one of the biggest lessons of this whole pandemic and everybody being on Zoom and the technology that's grown around it is now we have the ability, you know, to do that follow through. Um, you know, you could get the retreat group back together in three months and have a accountability Zoom call. You know, how have you changed? What has worked? What hasn't worked? You know, and, and I think that that's some, a key thing that's been missing from a lot a lot of training, whether it be very basic employment training to, you know, much deeper spiritual mental growth uh, training where you can have that, that follow through to come back and visit it. And anytime you can work those types of things in is always, always very, very powerful. Great suggestion. That's happening. For there sure. you go. Right. We're going yeah. to be doing that. <laughs> right. Well, it's when you start to do that, when you do those review processes too, I think you also can start to build accountability, right? You know, if, if, you know, you, when you enter, when you enter retreat like that, if everybody has a, what, what's their takeaway, what do they plan to change, where are they going to go from there? And then, you know, you, you get together three months later and you can be held accountable for that, right? If you're never going to be held accountable, we're all the same, no matter how strong we'll, uh, we'll let it, we'll let it go by the wayside, right? But if you have that accountability and then that, you know, to continue to build that community, because ultimately community requires reciprocity, right? You know, you can't just be friends for a week to get the full value. You got to be friends for quite a long time. And I think that's why in my experience with my group of friends, you know, it took all but 25 years to realize the value because it happened so slowly over time, you know, um, that constant just knowing. And and trust is is no small thing either, right? You know, it takes time to build that trust. And to know that, you know, I have a list of people in my life that I could call at two in the morning and get whatever they had, you know, whatever was in their power to get, um, point blank without any questions asked is a powerful, powerful thing. Um, it gives you a certain stability, a certain foundation upon which to take risk in your own life, because you know that you have someone to fall back to. Um, you have a home to return to if necessary, which is key. Yeah. Trust seems like that foundation that you can, if, if you have trust, you can make a totally different set of choices about things that come your way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it kind of relates to, you know, when you were talking about, uh, you know, your dirtbag journey, you knew that at any given moment you could go to a place, take a shower, shave, cut your hair, go get a job. And, uh, you know, you had that trust in yourself and your abilities that, you know, you could do that. You could fall back on that if, you know, the choices, what, you know, for whatever yeah. reason weren't working out. You, and I think that, you know, that's on a microcosm level, on a macrocosm level, when you have that group of friends around you, that foundation, you know that if you go out there and risk and fail, that they'll support you, right? You know, that they'll be, they'll, they'll be there for yeah, you. They, they've seen your details, so they don't just see your <laughs> right. production. So if you, if you have a failed attempt at a production, it's like, well, they know your details. And so they, that's just the that's the what has happened immediately but when you have that type of uh ceremony and reflection with and you get a little bit of like a brotherhood going like that mm-hmm. you know other people see you and accept you for what you believe to be your limitations or what you lack so what you produce is no longer your uh identifying occupation so to speak right Right. You're not, you're not gauged on your results. You're gauged on, on the course of, of what you've done. Right. I think that's a lot of struggle that men, men go through. Um, I can't really speak for women, but a lot of struggle that men go through is that production thing Mm -hmm. that it's, uh, you have to kind of be, what are you doing? Are you doing enough? Uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's just something that when you go to a retreat or this men's retreat, 
uh, you're sharing almost the things that you haven't wanted to bring forward. Uh, and so we're not necessarily just focusing exclusively on, on what you've done. It's a lot less of a like business type of mindset. It's a yeah. family type of mindset. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's valuable to have that, that input and that feedback, you know, from other people and to get other people's perspectives and to, to be able to gauge where you're at. Cause I, you know, you know, I really never got to know my father as a man until unfortunately pretty close to the end of his life when, you know, my father passed away from cancer, but, you know, between the time he was diagnosed till, well, just slightly before that till later, I never, you know, he was, cause his model was the way it was, was his, his model was what his father taught him is you go to work, you work a lot, you earn money, you support, you financially support your family. That's what you do. You know, that was his sole goal in life. Um, and that's not to say he didn't try to spend time with me and my brothers and stuff, but his, my father's sole goal in life was to support us financially. And I never really understood that or never, I never really got to understand him as a person until, you know, unfortunately later in his life because he never opened up, right? It was, that wasn't the model. You know, you didn't, you didn't tell your son you were struggling, you know, you just, you pushed through and you worked harder, you know, that's how you distracted yourself from it. So to, to help people, especially men to understand that, you know, those cultural expectations don't have to be everything, you know, you can, you can take a break, you can step back. Um, there are other things you can give your family other than your paycheck, you know. My phone is getting low on battery. It's going to... Uh-oh, going to die on us here. Cool. Gonna die well, let's end with, uh, I love your title of your retreat. Talk about that, your rewilding. Yeah, so rewilding... Uh... The idea of rewilding, if you look up the definition, is, oh, it's going quick, is uh, allowing nature to heal itself, right? And uh, the thing that drew me to that is we all have that inherent nature inside of us. And we're not saying that you don't have something like you need to be fixed or something wrong with you. It's, but it's getting connected back into your ancestors back into your masculinity and your feminine energy and you know and allowing that to come out and you know like you have what you need inside already you just have to like allow it to come out to heal mm -hmm. you know so it's it's just getting back in touch with our true nature you know uh that we've ignored you know that uh that great migration that we're not paying attention to you know and uh so just connecting back with into back to that and just allowing that to to heal with with it you know yeah it's a great term i love it i think that oftentimes um you know in my own journey it wasn't so much that i had to fix what was broken i had to find the unbroken parts again you know they just got lost somewhere and i had to dig them up and i love that i think that term rewilding and the way you use it in connection with the retreat and everything you're building is it, it really shows that sometimes it you're not necessarily broken you just got to find the unbroken parts again mm. you know i think I we think, had I it think one, one thing uh with those retreats like um and the rewilding aspect i think is uh a really great thing to be shooting for because uh nature heals itself your body is a reflection of that and uh, like you said, it. What did you say about nature? It it happens slow, mm -hmm. but everything gets done. But everything, yeah, everything gets, gets done. done. And when you take that time to slow down, you can start to see that. And 
perhaps like the follow-up as you mentioned there could be evolutions of these get-togethers like some people are not gonna maybe be able to go take maybe a week of like bushcraft like me personally if they're like all right we'll be meeting up like next installment of this if you'd like is like a bushcraft session i'd be like all right i'm in like let's do that but you get so you can do like similar groups where you take them climbing like in a way i feel like opening up um a lot of what you're doing you you get a lot of outlets of like where can this evolve but keep the group together so you add you know like progressive like a challenge by choice type of thing but also you make as much available for maybe like less rigorous or extreme but with it you kind of set up a network and and programs of people who they can get together and bond even more deeply over similar activities or or host teaching people new activities as well absolutely absolutely yep I think the actual quote is, it's not that nature is slow. Nature is never in a rush, but everything gets done. Because some things in nature happen rather fast, but yeah. it's never rushed, right? You know, like an avalanche is fast, but it ain't rushed. <laughs> yeah, it definitely does not. It's not going to be influenced by anybody else's opinion. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think that the, the way to look at it is it's everything in nature, it's never rushed, but it gets done. Right? And I think that that's a good way to look at all your life in general, but also healing processes or rewilding or healing yourself and following those things through. Cool. Good stuff, dude. Good yeah, stuff. Yeah, Tony, really nice to virtually meet you. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Anton hoped we could do it in, in person, person sometime. Thanks for joining us, and we'll look forward to doing it all over again next time. <laughs>